Welcome to the Vegas Gang Podcast for March 13, 2009. A hearty welcome to our panel today. And first off, we have a special guest. George is joining us from uh, the other side of the world in uh, Southeast Asia. Um, George is a frequent contributor both to my blog and also to Vegas Tripping. He visits Macau often, and um, we're hoping he will share some details with us on how things seem to be going. So welcome, George. Hello. Thanks. Nice to be here. Mr. Oh, man, I did it again. Dr. Dave Schwartz. I'm going to have to write that in my notes here so I never uh, forget. Uh, you didn't go to school for, for to have me call you Mr. Alton. No, I uh, certainly didn't. <laughs> from UNLV Center for Gaming Research, good afternoon, Dave. Hey. Mr. Jeff Simpson from the Las Vegas Sun and In Business Las Vegas. Welcome, Jeff. Buenos dias, hombres. Mr. Chuck Monster from VegasTripping.com. What's happening, Chuck? Hey, how's it going? Good. And my name is Hunter Hillegas, and I run RateVegas.com. And, uh, you know, sometimes when you check into a hotel and they ask you for, um, you know, whether you're Mr. or Dr. or whatever, I, I, at some point in the registration process for Wint, for one of the Wynn properties, I, some, I somewhere put Admiral. Now when I check in to the to any wind resort, it says Admiral on my bill and on the phone, and <laughs> it, it's always sort of just stayed there. So it's in my profile now. I guess it's pretty funny. Mine says, mine says Doctor, so I guess we're all showing our uh, our uh, proclivities. Yes, exactly. Um, all right. Well, we're going to start off, I think, talking a little bit about Macau. Um, you know, Macau is um, at this point, by in terms of dollar volume, the largest gaming market in the world, and uh, we talk about it often on this show. Um, I know Chuck and um, and Jeff have been to Macau. Dave, have you been to Macau? I have. Okay, so I'm the only one that hasn't been to Macau. Wow, I feel like a real loser. Loser. <laughs> uh, that's okay. We've got uh, the three of you guys that can that can uh, sort of chat a lot, chat about it a little bit. But um, I want to take start off by taking advantage of our guest. Now, okay. George, um, I, I'm hoping you can just real quickly tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, not don't need your life story, but just how how many times you've been to Macau? How often do you go? Um, that sort of thing. Just a real basic uh, intro to uh, to you and your story. Well, uh, let's see. I've been living in Korea now for nine years, uh, and uh, throughout that time, uh, didn't go to Macau much the first few times around. But uh, uh, about two, three years ago, uh, listening to you and other people trying to figure out what the hell's going on, I was going down to Hong Kong anyway. So I said, "What the hell? I'll pop over there and see what's going on." I hadn't. I, since the last time I was in Macau was about 2000, I didn't have much of the uh, – I didn't have high hopes for the place because I was used to the old grimy Macau. Uh, but I went over there and kind of fell in love with the place, and uh, I had a bad time trying to find a craps table because there were none. <laughs> but eventually they did, and I came out to be a regular uh, visitor basically. <laughs> so so how, I'm, when was, when's the last time that you were there? Last weekend. Okay, right. And and uh, readers or listeners, excuse me, um, I will be posting uh, some photos and a little bit of a write-up that George sent in in conjunction with the posting of this show. So be sure to look for that. That will be linked up in the show notes. Now, 
do you do you usually go um, for for a couple of days at a time or one day? I, I guess what I'm asking is if you stayed over in some of these hotels, and if so, uh, which hotels are you a um, visitor in? Well, the uh, yeah, how do I put that? Uh, my usual trip is usually a weekend trip. Uh, we'll usually fly out on a Friday night or Saturday morning, uh, and uh, usually fly into Hong Kong. Uh, and take the ferry over. Uh, sometimes I arrive in Macau Airport, which is an event in itself. It's like landing on like an aircraft carrier. <laughs> uh, it is because they built the runway out of reclaimed land, this big strip of land. It's like an aircraft carrier landing on. Uh, it's rather odd. But uh, anyway, I occasionally fly into Macau, but mostly I fly into Hong Kong Airport, take the ferry over, and uh, we'll stay sat- we'll stay Saturday night. And I'll usually fly out on uh, the red eye back to Seoul on a Sunday at 12 o'clock Sunday, uh, arriving in Seoul about uh, 5 o'clock in the morning, and go home, take a take a take take, take a quick shower, and get off to work. So man, that that's hardcore. Nice. <laughs> I like it. That's a, a dedicated uh, a dedicated traveler. Um, well, so, it's it's a really nice break. That's all I can say. I think I think the most important question is where are the dice tables in Macau? Ooh, uh, most of the Western casinos have them. Uh, the only, uh, I mean, the, most of the newer places have them. Because uh, Wynn and Sands didn't open with them. No, 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 no. They're they're all rather new. I think the only casino down there right now that opened with the craps table was the Venetian. Uh, with two of them, and that was. Uh, but actually, I don't know. Well, let me rephrase that. The uh, SJM used to have a floating craps game, almost literally. Uh, they used to. They had a table that they would randomly bring around, a table and a crew that they would randomly bring around certain times, and nobody really knew when. And it was almost like a phantom game. It did exist, but nobody knew where it was. Uh, <laughs> And uh, I guess they were trying it out and things like that, but it never really got traction. And I don't know who it was that got on the table first. Uh, it, I, interestingly, it wasn't the win. I want to say it was the um, it was the folks that run the Galaxy, and they put one in at, at, at right at the Waldo because they've been uh, the Grand Waldo down there on Kotai because they've been trying to pump up numbers uh, there. They've of an orphan property, uh, but I think I recall hearing that was the first table there as part of this trend, and that started about a year and a half ago. And interestingly enough, it took off. After that, pretty much every casino put most of the most of the larger new ones put one in, uh, including the Wind, the Sands, uh, the Grand Lisboa has one, the Venetian has one, uh, the Grand Waldo, as I said, Star World, MGM. So it's turned out to be a popular game. Uh, I, I was down there last uh, before the trip before last. I was in February, and I noticed something very interesting, which is they raised the uh, minimum table at, at right at the Venetian. Used to be the minimum table bed at Venetian was about 50 Hong Kong. It was about it was 50 Hong Kong, and they got they raised that up to 100 Hong Kong, which kind of gives an indication that the game is getting more uh, popular if they can tolerate higher higher minimums. Yeah, so, I was going to ask. I mean, it, it, is it a game that uh, that seems to be getting some traction? I mean, are the are the tables oh, 
full? I mean, uh, or do you have to fight your way in? Is it moderate? I mean, uh, they, do they seem to be taken to the game? That I, I that you know, at least my understanding is that it's not a game that has had a lot of uh, exposure over there until now. Yeah, it's uh, it yeah the, the game the game the game is taking root. I'll I'll, I'll say that the game is taking root. You're not going to find as many tables as as you would in Vegas, and obviously it's not as. Um, your crowds, the crowds will be there, and actually, yes, I've had to fight to get a place in, or just kind of quietly give up. But uh, eventually, uh, but you know, it's like a heavy table table time in Vegas is basically from five o'clock to about two, three a.m. In Macau, it's a much shorter amount of time. So, well, um, I, I mean, I, what what I can't imagine is having fun, playing craps, and drinking tea. That just doesn't seem like the most <laughs> congruous. Uh, <laughs> situation, but uh, you know. If well, usually what I do is I buy something at the bar and sneak it over to the table. Uh, yeah, the, the uh, drink service there is non-existent. So they even, if I could say as well, they cut back the tea ladies with the with the economy. It looks like I don't see as them and see as many of them going around anymore. So. Yeah, and I want to get into that a little bit. What, what what I'd like to first ask is just general volume of people. I mean, we, you know, obviously the stories of the economy are uh, are persistent, but there's also, you know, there's been word about changes in the visa restrictions. Um, how does it, you know, as someone that's gone several times over the past months and years, you know, how does the volume of people seem? And and the and I'd also like to know is, um, at, you know, as much as you can say based on your visitation, the difference between the peninsula and Kotai in terms of, um, you know, does Kotai seem to be picking up? Is there a big – or has it dropped off more precipitously? Any difference between those two in, in general? Well, where to begin with that question? Uh uh as far as uh the visa restriction thing uh i'm kind of a mixed mind about that uh given china china being china i cannot see how certain people can't find their way around visa restrictions <laughs> a lot of quite a few of the uh quite a few of the people who do come by the way are are uh, or uh, party members and things like that, so they can get around those that way as well, uh, saying they're on an official trip. Uh, so there are ways around them. So I was a little bit uh, suspicious of things, but uh, talking with some of the people I've gotten to know down there, they said the thing is is the fact that um, they're worried about how um, look things like luxury trips and things like that and how that looks. Uh, given the corruption problems there, and so they want to get away the idea of the appearance of corruption. So uh, they've tried to pare back, that, and that's one of the worries as well. Other worries are the Chinese are getting a little bit – it's almost getting too pop, 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 popular for the Chinese with some of the other uh, justifications for it as well. Um, so it has, it has had an effect. Me personally, though, on the t- – Floors. I haven't seen it. Uh, it's probably affected more of the VIP junket rooms than the actual general mass market casino floor, uh, the, because the because the general floors are pretty much the same they've always been, if not more. Uh, you always get a, at all the major places. You get uh, almost every table. Tab, almost every table is full, and uh, there's a good use of the slot machines. Um, 
So I haven't really seen too much effects from the economy as far as the general table I, either because of that. And it's uh, – Yeah, but then again, I don't know what the numbers are like. Uh, re- the, the, the revenue for the first few months has been down here. Um, so that's been disappointing to everybody. But uh, as far as bodies and seats, uh, I don't see it. They're probably they're gambling less time or they're paring back their bet size. I don't know. Right. But uh, there is something going off there. It's going to be interesting, though, to see when, when the City of Dreams opens up because that's going to be a mammoth casino on, on, on par with Venetian. And you, know, you can only spread the butter so far on the bread. So I'm wondering when there is going to be one of these places going to be a little bit uh, you know, left out in the cold. Right. So now, do, I mean, in terms of volumes on Kotai, when you go out to the Venetian and you know, I guess Four Seasons and whatever else is actually open out there right now, do, is there a good flow of people? I mean, you know, it's sort of chicken and egg, and <clears throat> as it's as it's developing, I'm just curious if if there's a fair amount of uh, of foot traffic out there. Yeah, there is a fair amount of foot traffic, and uh, the only thing I can add is more uh, more of a antidote. Which is uh, the, uh, the 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 casino floor at the Venetian is just huge. It is mind-bogglingly just huge. And uh, when I first started going, when the Venetian first opened, I first went there about God about a year ago. I want to say now, um, with my first visit there, uh, they started in the center and they were slowly moving out. And over the past year and a half, they've been growing their slot machines like a big, huge blob, trying to build out from the center to get to the edge of the casino. And they're slowly, and they're, as, they, as, they, as the blob moves out, the crowds kind of follow. So uh, they're now getting closer to the walls, last time I was there, and there's people moving out there as well. So that's uh, kind of a sign that People are kind of being spread out and things like that, so there is enough traffic to support that floor space, which is kind of surprising if you see the floor space. Right. So, well, I, I'm gonna let some of these guys see if they want to interject, but real, real quick, there is one other thing that I wanted to ask, and and that's um, just a, a, if you have a favorite spot and why. Ooh, uh, favorites for what uh, form of entertainment? Uh, oh, whatever you want. Just, I mean, if, if, if you were still, <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I can only go to Macau for uh, three hours. What would you have me go go and do? Three hours? Uh, well, three hours. I would probably send you to the Sands if you want some. If you just want a good time, uh, the, the Sands is kind of turning into. kind of has its age. And it's turning right into its own. So, uh, the Sands is turning into be a really nice place to get to. Uh, other than that, uh, the win is a definite must-see, as always. Uh, if you have to stay one night, I'm probably going to have to uh, give that to the MGM, from what I've heard. I haven't stayed there yet, but I hear it's just a great place to stay. Hmm. Uh, and uh, three hours. But really, if I had, if you had three hours, I would say probably give you about an hour to two hours of casino time because – Macau's are really unlike Vegas, where you get off the strip and it's like, uh, Macau, Macau has some nice views all around the city, so uh, it's kind of a funky place to visit without the casinos. 
Now, see, I'm going to beg to differ with you in your Vegas assessment, but you got to move here to appreciate it. So, but, but uh, <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Um, but what what I was wondering is, um, <clears throat> when you um, take the ferry, do you have you taken both Kotai Jet and the regular ferries into the terminal over by the sands? Yes, I've taken both. Do you? Um, are those ferries, are they still packed um, regardless? You know, when I took them, whether it was, you know, the first class area up top was probably two-thirds full at times I've been on them, and then the bottom was, like, packed full. And uh, But, you know, pretty nice accommodations. But um, I'm just wondering how that ferry capacity is in terms of bringing people over. Well... Let's see. How do I put this? Well, they are still pretty packed. Uh, they, they they still have pretty good occupancy. I'm not going to say it's 100%. I mean, part of those things with the ferries is you're paying for the convenience of leaving in the next 15 minutes. Right. And because of that, by default, you're, you know, you're not going to sell all those seats within 15 minutes. Uh, but, yeah, they, they they still have some pretty good volume uh, for both the Kotai and the uh, normal Macau ferry. Um there, uh, you know, and uh, the Macau government is pretty worried, actually, about the amount of people coming in by ferry, uh, and that's why they're building the new one down there to accommodate the, the Kotai. That was, actually, and they're building a bridge too. Uh, building a bridge—that's a new one for me. Uh, yep, yeah, yeah, there is a bridge. That's a fourth one. There's supposed oh, to be. A... Oh, oh, okay, okay. You mean a bridge linking Hong Kong to Macau? Correct. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes. 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 That's been uh, that's been talked about for a while, and they finally did awarded some uh, interim engineering plans for that. I am going to wait to see if that happens. That's <laughs> going to be a uh, that's going to be a constructural miracle, I think, if that pulls off. That's a pretty big way to go. It's like uh, version of the uh, it's like your version of the maglev train, the Anaheim to Vegas maglev. <laughs> right. <laughs> Bingo. Actually, that's about it. Actually, that's a good analogy. Yeah. For, or, well, for or for or for. Uh, Dave's uh, neck of the woods, the uh, the Chesapeake uh, Bay Bridge Tunnel. Oh yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, the thing is, that's a pretty good distance. I have no idea how they're going to get you know services out there. What if somebody runs out of gas, gets a flat tire? I mean, and could you imagine being stuck on that thing for hours? George, one of the things that when I when I was there, I, I tried to take a lot of time, and and you know I, the the city of dreams hadn't opened, um, the the uh, the uh, crown, um, the the MGM Grand and Venetian had not opened. I, I was there for the win opening, but I I took a lot. I spent a lot of time, or the Grand Lisboa had not opened either, and I so but I spent a lot of time at, at the Lisboa, the original. Um, at the Wynn, at the Sands, and at some of the funky little hotels like the Rio and <laughs> and uh, and uh, some of the other ones, um, I yeah. believe the Grand Waldo, and it was it was uh, I, I liked walking around, you know, sort of the the and finding the little nooks and crannies where they have the high limit games, and there might only be one or two or three tables in there. Um, do you get much of an opportunity to check out sort of um, check out that and what what the uh, atmosphere is like um, in those little high limit nooks and crannies? Well, um, 
I've seen them. I haven't played in them. My my uh, budget doesn't extend that far. Yeah, I don't play. I just or, <laughs> or at least if I or or at least if I want to have dinner, uh, the uh, yeah, I've seen those places. I mean, Highlands places is even like Highlands places everywhere. They are a little bit more sedate. People they're a lot more quiet. Um, the uh, I think uh, what was it? I think somebody commented on Chuck's board a few days ago about, uh, uh, you know, grimy cigarette-smoking guys running around and sipping tea all the time. In a way, that's still your, uh, your, uh, it's still your VIP tables. So it is kind of funny. You don't exactly see people in tuxedos move, moving around, so uh, to say the least. But it, it seems to me like it's, you know, I haven't been to Vegas now for about nine years because I've been out here. But uh, a high limit sta- a high limit area seems like a high high limit stable ed- everywhere. They've tried to add a certain amount of decorum. Everybody in there is a little bit more sedate. Uh, they try to do what they can for the players, you know. So it's uh, kind of interesting to see how that's the same since now since you bring it up to me. How 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 would in general how would you say Americans are perceived in Macau both in terms of you know them now being really active in their primary business but also just as a as a tourist and as a visitor. Well, as a tourist, I, everybody thinks I'm British. Uh, <laughs> no. uh, yeah, I mean Macau. You know, Macau was a former Portuguese colony. Uh, they get a large amount of uh, tourism in from Hong Kong, obviously. Uh, I have an interesting observation about Trist about that. Remind me to get to later. But um, the uh, you know, they're 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 used to foreigners being around foreigners in in uh, you know in positions of leadership and authority in the whole area. Uh, you know, uh, so everybody is generally accepted. Some of the other you know uh, probably some of the other players think it's a little bit odd. Uh, you know, coming over from the mainland, but uh, I haven't really seen any problems or uh, been involved in anything like that. So uh, probably the problems are all on my end, uh, especially with a very cheap cigarette some of the gamblers prefer. Ugh. But uh, but uh, no, there's there's no real big big problems when I, from what I've seen. George, and I don't know how much things have changed in a couple of years, but some of the colorful things that I uh, – and you mentioned the, the cheap cigarettes and cigarette smoking. It is pretty pervasive. <laughs> but but a couple of the other things that I liked, um, even at the newer places then, like the the Sands, and I, don't, I didn't see any at the Wynn, but they have those sort of like international signs for no, like the red circle with the line through it, showing yeah. a picture of a guy spitting. Um, and then some of the yeah. real old casinos, they actually have like little wastebasket looking things that are spittoons around yep. the table. And it's pretty common to be sitting at a Baccarat table, you know, that's packed with, you know, 10 or 15 people around it. And uh, and somebody just turns around and lets fly with a big expectoration. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's, uh, but, and then, but, and the other thing is just the crowds at the tables you get, you know, if there's a table where the dealer's been dealing, you know, a whole bunch of, ba- or the players dealing a bunch of bank or a bunch of player wins in a row, you'll see, you know, people start getting, you know, a little louder for them and people are running over and betting big amounts and it gets, you know, much more, it seems like for a card game, 
maybe a little more exciting and uh you know oh, yes. than, than in US casinos. Now the craps tables in US casinos pretty loud, but Baccarat tables pretty darn uh I think they're pretty exciting over there. Oh yes, they can be. The Baccarat tables are fun to play. Uh you know, it's uh it's it's very interesting to see some of the gamblers they get the cards to flip them over and they'll turn over one corner. They don't like it. They sit there, wait, think it's going to change, turn over the other corner, don't like it. They'll flip, they'll turn, they'll spin the card around, take up another corner. They don't like it. And then they'll see the number they want on the table, move the card to that number and rub the number, bring it back, look at it, still don't like it. At that point, they give up, thankfully. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, some of, the, uh, some of the habits for luck and things like that are kind of interesting. Uh, and, yes, you get – some tables, either you get a run or you get one big better that tends to attract attention too. And you will have a mini craps table that about three or four deep. And everybody has a bet on that table because of the way that they allow that because you can put all sorts of side bets. You don't have your normal eight, nine slots, you know. So uh, it can get crowded. I was actually in one of those tables once. I was playing at a back or at table and probably, I think it was Baker got on a pair of, I think, uh, 10, 15 in a row, and pretty soon we were the the table to be at at the casino, and there was just a, uh, there was a, there was a skyline of chips all the way across, with everybody betting everywhere, it was amazing, uh, some pretty big money was being put on that one table alone, so, and uh, it got so bad, actually, they had to call over some uh, security and maintenance people to make a look at the shuffling machine and the game and things like that. So wow. uh, everybody was a little bit worried about that one. <laughs> so, uh, But, yeah, the, the environment is very different. Uh, spinning, I don't notice because I've been in Korea for nine years and Asia in general for nine years, so I'm kind of used to that. Uh, <laughs> I hate to say they put it that way, but uh, it's kind of a common thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. I think I have seen a couple of spittoons around, especially in some of the older places. Uh, but yeah, the, uh, it's, you know, it's one of these, one of those old jokes. The environment here is quite different, but quite the same. Uh, it's just gets, it just gets translated a little bit differently. Uh, you know, uh, everybody's smoking their cheap cigarettes. I'm chomping on a big Cuban as well as I'm rolling. So. Uh, it's, uh, everybody's looking at me. Why are you smoking a cigar here? Uh, it's rather funny. So, the, Macau, uh, oh, go ahead, Chuck. Yeah, so I, have, I have a question, uh, and I know it's, it's kind of open-ended and, and pretty big, but I was curious if you could just quickly, based on the, your last trip, tell us a couple of things that you've seen in terms of development and growth. Uh, on the projects that are going on there specifically, uh, I'm really curious to know about uh, City of Dreams and looks and feels the scale of it when you're standing there on the on the street right in front of it. Ooh, it is open-ended. Uh, I think the big thing to report on the development is how much of it has stopped. Uh, they uh, they uh, shut down uh, right now. The whole uh, the whole Galaxy project shut down. So is the Three Dominoes Project, as I like to call it, the whole uh, Sheraton, St. Regis, and Shangri-La, I want to say. Uh, those three towers, all, the, all that construction being developed by Venetian is shut down. Uh, 
City of Dreams, Learc, and probably the uh, the the, the uh, new Mandarin Oriental are probably the only things they're going to be op- op- be opening pretty soon. Um, other than that, everything's been put into mothballs, uh, and uh, so that's a general look at a lot of the development. Even the uh, we were talking about the ferry earlier; they were building a brand new ferry terminal down on Taipa. Uh, to handle the Kotai jet operated by the Venetian, and uh, even that's been slowed down. They've had to do a redesign on that. Um, the ironic thing for that, they say they want more people. They're, it turns out they're gonna, it's going to be more more popular, but they're going to slow down anyway and do a redesign. I can't figure that out. That's a that's kind of an odd project. Um, as far as the City of Dreams, uh, it's pretty impressive. Uh, I, I, it's uh, it's interesting to see how some of the areas in the back are not are pretty far from being close to done yet. Uh, I think uh, some of the photos I sent off uh, as part of this report, there's still some places with some rebar showing and people doing some primary work. But I think that's more towards the back where the theater area is and some of the uh, – some of the uh, facility support services, the property support services. So I don't think that's going to be specifically a problem for the opening. But uh, there are there's going to be some construction work going on in back for a while. They also have the uh, the Hyatt Tower is supposed to be opening later as well, and so they're going to be still working on that as the uh, place opens up. Uh, as far as uh, scale, that's a tough one. Uh, it's not as, uh, I would say it's probably not as big as the monster that is the Venetian complex across the street, but, uh, it's a pretty big property. It's, uh, it's, and it's more, uh, the Venetian property is a little bit more, rec- more, more of a rectangle while the city of dreams is a lot more square. There's a lot more depth to it. So, uh, it's a pretty big thing. Um, I don't know. What do you want me to compare it to another casino, or <laughs> I'm just curious about how it how it feels like when you stand. Is I'm 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 curious to know if you saw any pressing of the light show or if the uh, the circular spout around the Hard Rock Tower, if that thing is moving at all, or uh, you know, or any oh, oh, okay. on does it does it does it feel exciting when you look at it? I know it's hard to tell. You know, Macau is so much about being there at night with the lights and the neon and that kind of excitement. Uh, yeah. so it's hard to tell during the day, you know, in the photos and whatnot. So I'm curious if you could somehow uh, give us a feeling, a sense of, of how it how it affects you when you look at it. Are you excited? Do you want to go in? Or Well, I, I, I passed by there uh, during the night, uh, and they were doing some internal work. Uh, that, you know, they have that ball in the center. And it's surrounded by two arms. And they were doing some internal work, and so all the, the two arms were lit up. And, yeah, I got a chill down my spine. I'll admit that. Uh, but other than that, not there's not too much lighting or night work going on or the ball isn't moving. Um, so it's not that far along yet for me to observe that. Uh, but uh, some of the lights were on, like I said, doing some internal work at night, and that was kind of exciting. Uh Probably the more interesting thing to say since you brought it up, which is one of the interesting things between the Kotai Strip and most of the other properties is it's a lot less neon. Uh, most of Macau, uh, 
is very lit up and things like that. And the Venetian and probably the City of Dreams as well is going to use a lot more softer lighting, a lot less neon, a lot less uh, harsh lights. So uh, it's probably going to be a little bit less lit up than normally what the, a casino thinks about for Macau. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be. It's going to be. Uh, it's going to be. It's not going to be as uh, Vegasy as uh, and as you think, nor as Macaui as you think. It's going to have its own style. I'm pretty sure the whole area as it develops. So, all right. What I think I want to do um, is to move on to our, our next topic, unless anyone else has anything else that they want to slide in there. Could I add one one little thing? And um, George, and, and you could amplify this. I, one of the things, and I know that some casinos have added a few slots since I was there, um, and, and the slots that are there at the new places um, seem to be doing pretty darn well. But it's almost like American casinos turned on their head where you have a giant casino floor and then 80% of the floor is filled with slot banks and 20% with tables. Um, and the gaming positions, 2,000, you know, slots or more, and, you know, maybe four or 500 table seats, um, gaming positions on the tables. And in Macau, I was just flabbergasted. You'd walk into a casino, and they'd have slots around, you know, here and there and around the, the edge. But it was like looking at a football field where every couple feet – in a line from one, you know, the one yard line all the way to the opposite goal line, yeah. is a baccarat tables, and they, you know, they mix in some blackjack and some, you know, some of the other uh, Asian games, but um, it's just you know baccarat tables lined up one after the other, hundreds of them, and you know, I mean, sometimes on you know multiple floors. And it's just, you know, to an American, you know, who's used to seeing a casino with a, a 20, a 30, a 40 table table game pit, it's just, you know, insane. Um, and then, like we said before, some of those tables with 20, 30 people crowded around, and then, you know, you, on a slow night, you might see 40 tables in a row with just a dealer standing there. But um, just amazing, um, the difference between those casinos and the American. Well, yeah, I think, uh, well, I mean, to be quite frank, part of that's been the, some of the designs and some of that's changed around a little bit. Uh, I mean, the Sands, the way, the way the Sands was designed, it was basically designed as a big warehouse just filled with baccarat tables, really. Right. It's a nice place, but that, that's the basic design motif. Uh, we called it Sheldon's Box of Baccarat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's very good, but that's... Uh, but uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, and even even you know, and, and the win, I think, I actually I think that was there could have been the reason why the win went with their little gaming salon type motif, mm-hmm. because they didn't want this rows and rows and rows of baccarat tables. They wanted to be broken up by something, a pillar or a curtain, something. Um, so I think that could have been part of it. The more interesting thing is is. The newer Western, the newer West, Western or uh, non-SJM casinos, uh, the slots have taken over uh, a good amount of space. Actually, oh. now uh, they are uh, the the uh, Venetian has quite a few tables, but they have a lot of slot slots as well. 
uh, in fact, an amazing amount. And uh, the slot handles are actually off the hook there as well. So slots are doing quite popular. It was quite a uh, it was quite a contrast from when I was uh, there back in 2000. Uh, and none of this development was going on, really. It was all planned, and they didn't even re- reward the licenses, so it's just the SGM guys there. And you just had these very, like, 1950-era uh, era, uh, slot machines lining the walls, and the only people playing them were the hookers so they could stay in the casino floor. <laughs> so uh, those were that's what slots were relegated to, only... Uh, Eight, about eight years ago. So. Well, some things never change. No. <laughs> well, yes, if you go to the Venetian, yes, uh, they're still there. Uh, <laughs> hey, it still works. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I got a couple things. Um, before we move on, I got a couple yeah. things to say based upon sure. some things I've been reading, on, reading online and people asking questions about the place. Uh, uh, a couple of these come from Chuck's place more than anything. Uh, somebody wanted to know about buying dice in Macau. Uh, that's, I don't think that's ever going to happen. Uh, there, uh, the, one of the casinos, one of the problems the casinos have been dealing with that the uh, biggest casinos don't deal with that much has been fake casino merchandise. Uh, and I don't think they're going to release dice out of the possibility of actually making fake dice is a real possibility out, out, out there. Uh, they, they, if you look around when you get off the ferry, actually, or especially at the Zoo High border gate, you'll actually see people selling fake chips to use the huh. casino on a certain amount of things. So uh, you don't get too much of that in Vegas, so that's kind of odd. Uh, one of the other things as well is I uh, saw this disclosure quite a few times in some of the ominous tones about uh, – Wynn closing trysts because he, quote, didn't like the environment or the clientele that they're brought in, uh, which is kind of interesting. Quite a few people have been talking about how it's uh, gang-related or something like that. When I was in trysts, I didn't see too many Chinese gang, gang members there. I basically saw a lot of uh, very loud, drunken British expats uh, and, a, and, a, and a few uh, women of the evening lining the walls. So I was wondering – don't think that when he says I didn't like the crowd coming in there, I don't think he meant the gangs personally, but uh, one interesting thing about that. Uh, that goes to nightlife, and I have to talk about a guy named Philip. Philip is a house lounge singer at the Sands, and this guy has the most interesting act you have ever seen. I have no idea where he's from, but he's a black guy. He has this whole Kanye West uh, personality on stage. But this guy sings uh, in this falsetto voice Chinese pop songs from the 80s in Cantonese. So you have this guy in this falsetto voice singing these old Chinese pop songs, and you will literally have people six, seven deep around the stage singing along with him. It's the most bizarre thing you have ever seen in your life. <laughs> so, Exciting. Uh, and that's uh, I'll, I'll so a little bit more local flavor for you. Yeah, I'll try and do so. him out on YouTube. I'm pretty sure I've seen a bunch of his videos out there. So. Well, if you do find yeah. a link, Chuck, let me know. I'll put it in the show notes. 
Um, okay, well, what I want to do is move on to our next story. Now, George, you probably listen to the show, so you kind of know how this works. Feel free to yeah. jump in at any time uh, on anything if you've got something to say. Some have uh, have some Macau angle, some don't, but that's okay. You can uh, pontificate uh, no matter what. So um, next up is a story that does have a little bit of a Macau angle. Um, Something that I wasn't exactly expecting to see when I first read it, but after I thought about it for about five seconds, I wasn't all that surprised, which is Bill Widener leaving Las Vegas Sands. Um, longtime president and uh, COO, uh, from from the reporting that's gone on since then, it, I mean, it sounds like he was, it was made very clear that he was not needed anymore, uh, though both sides seems to seem to want to say that they moved first. Um, whether Widener quit or he was fired are, depends on who you ask, it seems. Um, but uh, the bottom line is the same, and he, he, he will not be there anymore. Um, and what I want to know is – what I want to ask the group is, first, how instrumental was Widener uh, – to Sands and their success. How, what, what was his? What are his fingerprints on the Sands organization um, over the 14 years he was with the uh, with the company? Any thoughts? Well, I think he was Adelson's go-to number one guy. Um, you know, very very confident. Um, you know, I would probably say cocky kind of kind of guy. Um, you know, as as. You know, um, I interviewed him first in 2000. Um, the Venetian had gotten off to a rocky opening in 99, and uh, they were just starting to maybe see the light at the end of the tunnel in early 2000. And uh, I went over and interviewed him at the Venetian, and he um, interviewed him and uh, Brad Stone and Rob Goldstein, uh, everybody except for Sheldon, who I've never met, um, sort of amazingly. And... Uh, um, Widener was was nice, but he certainly didn't lack for confidence then, and for a you know a single property company at the time that had really not proven anything to anybody. There were still a lot of skeptics. Um, I was sort of surprised by how confident and self assured he was in their game plan. Um, and uh, but over time, as they became more successful, um, and I've talked to him a few times since then, um, he his confidence, if anything, increased. Um, very, very self-assured. Um, you know, always deferring a little bit to Sheldon and his role in the company, but but not deferring as much as some number twos do, whether it's Mark Shore or before that Bobby Baldwin to win or to the folks at MGM the way they did with Terry Lanny. Um, you know, I always felt like Widener, you know, really – you know, I think he believed that he was, you know, the the brains of that outfit, and uh, maybe that he kept Sheldon in check, or that he was the voice of reason, the guy who had a casino background, that uh, you know sort of helped Sheldon out. And uh, you know, I think Sheldon believes that he is the genius, the one who said, you know what, let's aggressively pursue Macau. Um, he's the one who made all the money on Comdex and built the Venetian. Um, so I think, you know, just from, you know, my outside assessment, I would say this was a clash of two titanic egos. And, uh, you know, the guy who owns, you know, the majority of stock in the company, of course, won that battle. Um, you know, the, the, the story that has been told around here 
um, Widener was going up to Carson City, uh, Nevada's very small town state capital, to uh, lobby the legislature. And I don't know if it was a rainy day or if there was just, you know, water on the sidewalks or something, but his limo, limo driver, instead of parking in the parking lot behind the building and having him walk, you know, 150, 200 feet around to the doors to enter the legislature, drove up onto the sidewalk and deposited him right in front of the front door, you know, drove those hundred and some feet on the sidewalk on the Capitol grounds. You know, I mean, it's not something that, you know, anybody would ever do, but the casino executive did, and he did it in a limo, which is, you know, it just sort of, you know, takes some chutzpah to do that. Um, and, you know, I didn't witness that, but the story's been long told around here. And to me, you know, I, I, I think Widener is a smart guy. He should get credit for some of what the company did. And if it's true, which he's suggesting that it is, that he told Sheldon that they needed to back back off of their very aggressive expansion and leveraging um, because times were changing. If that's true, you know, then he has, you know, right to claim that he was at least correct about that. But, um, you know, I mean, I, you know, I see it as a battle of two egos with a predictable outcome. Yeah, I mean, uh, no big surprise who won who won the battle. Though it is, I mean, you can get a sense from the public comments that Adelson's made since then that there's, you know, it seems like uh, he's sort of relishing the fact that he, that he won this one. I mean, it's almost like uh, that uh, thorn in his side that was always telling him that we couldn't do X and Y because of whatever reason is is finally gone. I mean, it's just it's amazing how things change, right? And there was the very interesting part of their disclosure statement from a few quarters back about about the internal disagreement between senior management. I mean, yeah, you never see that. You never see that. It was amazing, and obviously, you know, this is this is played out in this way. But um, the new guy that's coming in, um, I don't have his name right in front of me, uh, but I believe he's actually coming from an aquar- the uh, Atlanta Aquarium. <laughs> I mean, he ran a bunch of hotel chains before that. Right, so he does have some hospitality experience, but I guess the big open question is: Will will he be an independent voice, uh, or will he just uh, you know be going along with whatever whatever Sheldon says? And I guess we'll find out. Uh, Las Vegas Sands. I don't think anybody uh, could argue that they haven't had their share of trouble in this downturn, and whether you, you know whether that's because they made some mistakes or overextended themselves, uh, you know that may be the case, but. Uh, Widener, to me, as an outside observer, did seem like a steadying hand to some degree, but um, we'll have to see what happens with the company now. Adelson has repeatedly said that they're in good shape, and he doesn't care that the stock market doesn't agree. Um, and, 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 and they have Bethlehem opening up in uh, northeastern Pennsylvania, and they have obviously Singapore opening. And uh, I think those two things, as well as you know, the uh, free flow of um, tourists from Guangdong province in China are, you know, probably the big variables that are going to tell us about how the company does. Um, They're in the same boat as everybody in Las Vegas. Um, They're about to be hit by a huge capacity upsurge from city center and Fontainebleau, and they're competing in that same sector of the market. So, you know, you're probably going to see um, depressed, um, you know, 
uh, average daily rates, revenue per available room, um, all those kind of things that the Venetian has lived on much more than gaming revenue here in Nevada. So times are going to be tough for them here. The question is, how will the rest of the world um, in Pennsylvania, Macau, and Singapore offset that? And, uh, you know, they seem to, you know, Sheldon is, um, you know, perfectly confident that those new properties and uh, the existing ones in Macau are going to, you know, perform like gangbusters. So we'll see. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, go ahead. If I could just say that uh, it's, uh, Venetian have shut down most of their development op- operations now in Macau. And, uh, you know, they, 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 they uh, shut down the uh, three dominoes as well as the uh, corner. Uh, the, the corner that's left of their property across the street, where just behind the Four Seasons, that thing shut down as well. They were looked like they were going to do some prep stuff when I was there in September, but that's all gone now. And uh, you know, I think the Marina Bay Sands is a deal. I don't think that they can get out of. I think see, the Singapore government locked them down pretty hard there. So the only place they can kind of cut back is Macau, which is probably why they're getting some. Uh, some heat for it now within the local press and within the local pop population. So, yeah, I mean, if, uh, if Marina Bay Sands is as successful as they project, even if it's close, uh, then it will be a game changer for that company, and I mean, it will be a, a huge asset. Whether that whether it will be or not is well, obviously an open question. I think it's going to be, yeah. The, the Marina Bay Sands project is kind of interesting. I have no idea what the Singapore government is thinking, actually, given the Singapore government. Uh, the uh, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I wonder if it's going to be something akin to uh, the casinos around here in Korea. Korea has quite a few casinos, but they're only open to tourists. And I'm wondering if that's going to be something similar with the Marina Bay Sands. And if that's the case, uh, they're going to have problems, I think. So I'm really worried. I'm really interested to see what exactly the Singapore government does with its uh, with its regulation down there. Well, it will be interesting to see. Yeah, go ahead, Chuck. Yeah, there's a couple things about the LVS situation. Just to tack on to a point before that, um, uh, they actually did cut back a bunch of the Sands Bethlehem, Sands Bethworth project. There's supposed to be like a TV studio and all sorts of crazy stuff that they had built you know, in that master plan project. So now it's pretty much you know, going to be a casino, and then they're going to start adding hotels and whatnot over the next couple of years. So. That, that thing has gotten shot back, and they put all that money in just driving that thing to open. I think it's supposed to open in uh, late May, like the week before Memorial Day weekend. Now, I also read somewhere, I mean, in the sun whatnot, that there was some talk and whatnot about Brad Stone possibly leaving LVS as well, because he is uh, one of uh, William Widener's right-hand men. Uh, and, and I just started looking at the uh, – the, uh, the age profile of Stan's directorship. And if you take uh, Brad, uh, who's not the director, but he is like senior management out of there, it looks like the median age of the people on the top of the LDS board is like 72 years old. Um, and it, it, it's quite a contrast to what's going on next door with like a win. I remember when we did the, uh, the media tour, like the guys who were leading the media tour, looked like they were 25 years old. You know, Pascal. You know, he looks he looks like a kid. You know, it's kind of shocking the the youthful energy between these two. And to remove two of the younger, I guess, people, which would be Widener, even though he's 62, 
and uh, possibly Brad Stone, who I believe is in his 50s, you know, it, it, it kind of puts that company, makes me wonder, well, what, where, how are they planning on competing for the future? It's like they're setting themselves up for a quick overturn, turnaround, like now. Well, it would be interesting to see if, I mean, I, I had heard, you know, I've heard that rumor too, that, that others may leave and they were talking about potentially Redstone, which, uh, you know, it would it is interesting to, to see how those ages can skew if, if it makes a difference. You know, I don't know, but it uh, it, it it is interesting and vitality is, uh, is an important thing no matter how you spin it. <clears throat> well... Widener, we'll see if he pops up somewhere else. He may, uh, I hope, hopefully, he uh, saved his pennies, and uh, if he if he wants to, he can retire. But who knows? Maybe we'll see him uh, running the Denizen Casino sometime soon in Las Vegas. Um, moving on from Las Vegas Sands, I want to do sort of a uh, blanket economic topic, which is um, instead of going into these stories individually, uh, to sort of talk about talk about things in context of economic news. So. In the past two weeks, we saw MG Mirage delay their SEC filings amid talk of deepening trouble for the company. Today, we saw Harris break down over $5 billion in assets um, related to their merger, um, and Australia's Crown Limited canceling their cannery purchase in Las Vegas. Um, you know, gaming win is down. Bad news always rolling in. But with regards to the cannery, um, you know, it looks like, at least as I read it from the article in The Sun, that the deal isn't necessarily completely dead. They sort of have an option to resurrect it if they want, even if the terms aren't exactly the same. Je Jeff, is that a correct uh, representation of what happened? Yeah, that's exactly right. And I talked to Bill Paulus this morning uh, for a pretty long, a pretty long time, and he's genuinely happy. This, what this does is it protects Cannery if uh, Crown doesn't perform and actually buy the company. They'll end up getting uh, about three hundred million dollars uh, plus the fifty they've already got for sure. They have this investment in their company in the in the near term that they would keep anyway. Um, if if uh, if Crown doesn't come through, it'd be like another two hundred ninety million. Um, but um, and, it, and, it, and it gives James Packer, you know, two years to sort of evaluate the casino company, his you know his remaining assets, and you know whether it's a deal that he wants to do. Um, but you know the company ends up as one of the most um, one of the least leveraged companies in the business um, with a big spigot in western Pennsylvania there. You know, there is a race, a Racino in Erie, but, you know, that's way up at the northeast corner of the state. So a big metropolitan area of Pittsburgh has just one casino right now. And uh, when Neil Bloom and Don Barden's uh, place near uh, the, you know, the city of Pittsburgh opens, you know, um, the meadows that Cannery opens south of the city will still by default, the way locals casinos work, people go to the close place, and that's true everywhere. Um, and uh, so they're gonna they're gonna have you know half of that market. That market is easily big enough to support you know two casinos um, here in Nevada. Now we may gamble like fiends, but we still have 
you know, 25 or, you know, 20 decent-sized locals' casinos and even more when you count slot bars, convenience stores, grocery stores, etc. So they're carving up a pretty big territory for two casinos. Their company's in great shape. Um, you know, and it's, and it's a good thing for, for uh, James Packer, too, because his, you know, he, he picked the wrong time to make a big investment in the casino business um, a couple of years ago when he was lining up these deals. You know, he thought he was getting a great deal by buying a big percentage of Fontainebleau, and maybe he did, uh, but he threw hundreds of millions of dollars that he bought into the Colony Station Partnership of, for Station Casinos, hundreds of million there. Um, you know, $1.4 billion for Cannery. He bought the uh, one of the big Canadian casino companies for almost a billion dollars. So, you know, throwing that much, and, and already owns Crown and is in, involved in, you know, a, a huge partnership, a very big, making very big play in Macau, Crown Melco, um, including spending almost a billion dollars to uh by wins Macau subconcession and then contributed to that Crown Melco uh partnership. So it's a uh it's you know, he's highly invested in the industry and it almost all came at the very worst time for the industry. So this gives him a little more time to reassess. Two years from now if the market's still bad, he probably does walk away. If the market has started to rebound or the light at the end of the tunnel uh, doesn't look like a train. He, you know, he probably com- consummates the purchase. So either way, the, the the cannery company comes out ahead, and uh, it remains to be seen what Crown's role will be, other than for now, passive investors. Right. Well, it did seem like, at least from the coverage, that the that the cannery guys were were not all that broken up about the turn of events and it sounds like they're going to be making out just fine so i think that's right maybe this isn't such a negative thing maybe it's just sort of uh if something had to go down um you know sort of the best of the worst outcomes i guess um the other thing though that happened in the last two weeks that is uh hopefully a positive is m resort opened uh at uh las vegas boulevard and st rose parkway um, I visited M Resort on its opening first night and again the next day. Um, I wanted to stay there to see what it was like, but they, it's such a small hotel. They were all totally sold out, so I was not able to do that. Um, I'm curious, maybe some of some of you have also visited. Um, you know, just real quickly, uh, my impressions. Tried uh, some of the food. Went to the buffet and tried that. I'm not usually uh, a buffet guy, but it was um, seemed totally decent. So I would compare it to a, a, one of the nicer, maybe not the very top end, but one of the nicer strip buffets. Um, casino itself, um, you know, I was, <laughs> I could have closed my eyes and imagined being in any high-end sort of localish casino, um, Red Rock-esque sort of thing. I mean, it's got nice appointments inside, generally um, a fairly standard casino layout. Uh, one of the things that I wrote after the visiting was with regards to they have this pharmacy, and I think we talked about this last time, and just in general innovation in gaming, which um, is I'm, I am hoping that we that with a, another new smaller operator we see some innovation, especially since Marnell's Marnell family are you know having done the Rio and, and tried some new concepts there that really did take off and spread, that we'll see them. Trying some other new things, and um, and 
in, in ways that maybe strip casinos can't due to just the volume and uh, sort of the, the customer makeup. I'm hoping that we'll see them try some new stuff and that hopefully the good stuff will spread to other to other venues as well. But now I'm, I'm curious, did Dave or Jeff, did either one of you guys visit M? Yeah, I went down there. What, what did you think? I thought it was pretty cool. Um, I, there was a lot of really neat tricks they did. I like the way over the pit they've got those kind of um, – I don't even know, kind of glass-looking things that project down from the ceiling. Right. And it does two things. First of all, they put the surveillance cameras on, and second of all, it gives the illusion of the ceiling being a lot lower than it is. So you get that feeling of intimacy, but you've also got the air handling and the smoke issue, you know, the smoke rising up above the low ceiling. So it's kind of the feel of a low ceiling, but it's a high ceiling, which I think is pretty cool. I really like that aspect of it. The other thing that really struck me about the place was – the fact that they they seem to be really big into bread and pastries and right. beer. You know, I got taken on a tour, and they were really pushing the um, $2 domestic, $4. Is that like a third thing? Yeah, no, they were really pushing it, and they were really pushing the pastries, which are $2 and $4. And at the Italian restaurant, they were pushing the bread bar. And I think, well, this is really smart because that's comfort food, you know, bread and all these carbs and stuff, and I think people want that psychologically. <laughs> you know, the economy being where it is and everything, people are feeling uncertain. I think they like the idea of that. You know, I certainly like the idea of being able to get a $2 beer on the strip. I don't Red know. Line at, Red Line oh. at the M can be their next promotion, right? Yeah. yeah. Soup, soup kitchen. <laughs> yeah. I, I went downstairs and checked out their wine cellar thing, which, um, you know, it's sort of, a, so, sort of something similar was at the Rio, but I actually really liked that idea. I thought it was very, very neat to see this little section down there where they had a, a wide array of stuff, and I can see that being a popular spot. And then outside, the pool, the pool deck area was, I thought, very well done. Um, sort of this terraced uh, area. It, it, that that was one spot that I was particularly um, interested in. Thought was was very, very good looking. I think I always enjoyed Dave's. Um, appreciation of the design aesthetic, um, whether it's carpeting or everything else. Um, I noticed, you know, um, and, and, and I agree with Dave, I think that in general the design elements, um, they got a lot of bang for their buck. And uh, so I, I, I think that that's true. Um, two things I'd like to say about the property that, um, aside from everybody's comment on the fact that you know, sort of the marketing genius of selling gas and selling, uh, having a pharmacy that lets people use their slot points. You know, everybody knows that, you know, the, uh, the more prescription, you, the people who use prescriptions the most are older people, and that's the best slot demographic, you know, money to spend, time to do it. Um, and uh, so, everybody, you know, that's, that's fantastic. Um, but I had uh, two things. One sort of a negative, and I would – you know, they, they're marketing their, uh, you know, and I've seen some advertising where they advertise those those beer prices. And for the regular locals, not for the strip, those are great prices, and I agree with Dave. Um, but, like, you know, you'll see, you still see, uh, um, like, Fiesta's advertising dollar, dollar Heineken's, dollar Corona's. Um, and, you know, that's sort of a staple of the locals' casino is the most locals' casinos will have one very low-priced uh, leading beer. And, and, you know, it may be two, but I think, 
You know, to me, that's sort of like one of those billboards you see for some locals casino advertising a five ninety nine breakfast. If a casino cafe doesn't have a five ninety nine breakfast at a locals place, there's something wrong with them. So um, I, I wasn't as blown away by the beer pricing. Um, I mean, compared to the strip, it's good, but locals casinos, I think it's it's really nothing that special. But what I was very impressed with, and I think um, it's it's one of the unspoken things about locals casinos. This is a non-union place, um, like most of the locals places. But uh, he opened up with probably, you know, with their their uh, beverage server uniforms, uh, particularly attractive, and it follows in the mean, you know, in the in the uh, sort of the path that the Rio had, um, where the Rio was known for while the Marnells owned the property is having probably the uh, the best collection of beverage servers around. And I think that um, they have done a, a spectacular job in that regard. It is something that um, attracts the, uh, the young and middle-aged guys out there. And, uh, you know, it, it, it shouldn't be underestimated. Um, it, it's even important on the Strip. Some of the unionized older places on the Strip, like Caesar's Palace, um, you know, the company, the company executives admit that they are uh, they are hurt by having you know you know 55 and 60 year old beverage servers um, when their competitors um, you know don't have them. And, uh, you know, they opened up with a pretty uh, stellar collection. And so that's going to be an advantage for them for a while. No, that's a good point. And, you know, n- not that I would know, but I think it definitely does help. <laughs> not that I notice these things. Of course, I'm happily married, but uh, it can definitely help. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, well, you know, I I hope that M does well. The initial numbers that they've that they've released, they've made a big big deal out of a large uh, a large sign up for their slot club and uh, a big deal about having to hire some more people. Um, you know, hopefully that's a sign that uh, that they are going to grow the market a little bit, or um, or at least are going to be around for a while. And I think that they will. They obviously have family who have a track record in Las Vegas that's a mile long. So, um, you know, hopefully there are more good things to come from them. Um, I was going to do a story about the Cosmo, but we're over, so I'm going to cut it. We can talk about Cosmo Denizen some other time. Um, I wanted to say a special big thanks to George for joining us. No problem. Early on a Saturday morning for him. Uh, I, I, Speaking for myself, I can say it was fascinating, and uh, we may have you do it again sometime. Uh, oh, anytime. There's all sorts of stuff I didn't touch upon. I probably should have. <laughs> oh, that's okay. That's what that's what uh, future episodes are for. Um, and and to everyone else, thanks a lot for being here. Uh, I'm going to go around the table and let you guys tell people where they can find you. And I will start with Jeff Simpson. Where can people track you down? On uh, in businesslasvegas.com. And I also would like to thank George. Uh, enjoyed it, George. Thank you. My pleasure. Doctor. Dave, where can people find you? Gaming.unlv.edu or www.diescast.com. And I'll uh, again rec- uh, recommend to the listeners the um, the podcast series that you're doing. I listened to the uh, Bill Zender episode uh, and I uh, was really into it. I got his book. I haven't read it yet. And actually, I think he might be on a future episode of the show. I was talking to him about doing that. So I think that would be great. Um, so if you haven't subscribed to that uh, UNLV podcast series, I recommend that you do. It's very interesting. Um, and then last but not least, 
Mr. Chuck S. Monster, how about you? Where can people find you? You can find me at george.drambuiman.vegastripping.com. <laughs> of course. That's, that's what I have. That's my homepage, actually. Uh, All right. Um, I'm done. <laughs> you can find me at uh, at ratevegas.com, ratevegas.com. Thanks to everyone, and have a fantastic weekend. And um, thanks, guys. Bye.